0: and good morning <clears throat> don't let don't let john fool you he'll always be a real translation expert to me so uh, <laughs> um hey we're glad that you're here and uh let me make sure i'm i here okay uh i wanted to take a, a quick uh, few minutes to just say a couple of things one is um i know i'm blocking the screen and i know it's going to be annoying there's nothing I can do about being this big. Okay. (laughs) So it's, so we, I know that's happening. I know it's going to be frustrating. Uh, I also know we're only going to be in here like three weeks. Um, and those lights are going to be taken down. And so there'll be nothing blocking the screen ever again. All right. So, um, which is a cool thing. All right. Um, and I also want to just say that, uh, moving, um, all of that stuff out and moving over here, uh, that took, um, a lot of work from a lot of people, um, and so I just want to thank everybody. We have amazing volunteers. Um, uh, we have we have pretty amazing vol- volunteers here, and I also want to take a minute to thank you all. Uh, just uh, you know, on the piggybacking off of. Uh, offering to thank you for your generosity. Um, that, that Your generosity is what's moving these projects forward. Um, you know, we've obviously addressed this room um, with HVAC and carpet. Um, uh, we're working on a sanctuary uh, across the way next, and then we're going to be into the foyer um, hopefully really, really soon. So things are moving at a really good speed now, and it's, it's because of you guys. Um, some of you may or, or may not know that this, uh, this is the original kind of worship space of our church I, uh that that when we were here um years ago we we used to to worship in here i mean not me but long long before and um this was a place where a lot of generosity happened. And a lot of faithfulness happened. The church really grew in this space and eventually uh, built this space across the way uh, where, where many people uh, came to Jesus. And I'm, I'm just curious, um, this is gonna be a little bit awkward if, if there isn't anybody, but did anybody has anybody since uh, they've been at Northwest, did you originally worship in this space? Is there anybody here? Yeah, thank, thank you, first of all. Uh, your your commitment and uh, your generosity, um, going going back a, a pretty far way now, uh, has really been a blessing to this church. And I can't help but just wonder, like, what's going to happen next? You know, um, we're redoing the space over there; it's going to look really, really great. I just wonder what God's about to do uh, in in our church over over the next years. It's really exciting to think about, and that someday maybe people will be worshiping over there, thinking about our commitment. Uh, to the gospel and to Jesus. So, thank you, thank you, thank you. Great things are happening, and uh, I know, um, I know this is a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit inconvenient, but it's also kind of exciting, isn't it? So, you ever been so excited to sit in like chairs before like that? You know, um, it's 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 really cool. So, um, hey, we're gonna we are starting um, a new series today, and um, you're gonna get um, a normal length sermon, um, if not a little bit longer, because you know I know you're in uncomfortable chairs. So. Um, <laughs> And uh, we'll go. We'll go ahead and uh, get get into it. And you know, we we did design this just for. We're gonna be in here like three weeks, and we did. In the way back, it's a little bit different, but we did design that the chairs get progressively more uncomfortable as you go back. <laughs> so you'll notice up here that this is posh, and then as you go back, you you get into metal chairs. So just something to consider. All right. So all right. Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus, and uh, we thank you for this book of Hebrews. Um, As we uh, get ready to to go through it, um, we just pray that we would uh, recognize and understand that Jesus is truly greater. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. It's hard to believe, but um, several years ago now, uh, Oxford got together a a think tank of some of the the smartest people uh, in the region and smartest people in the world. And they decided that uh, just for fun, that they were going to develop a list of the greatest jokes of all time. All right. That they consider these to be the greatest jokes. Um, top ten. About eight of them I couldn't share in church, All right? Um, and, and keep my job. I mean, I could, but you know, um, about eight of those I couldn't keep. But there was one that made the top ten list. Um, I'm curious what you think. So let me let me just kind of tell you this joke. It's uh, goes that it's the World Cup uh, final, and uh, this guy goes and he finds his he finds his seat and he sits down and he noticed that the seat next to him is empty, and so he leans over and he asks his neighbor. He says, "Man." Um, is anybody going to be sitting here? And he says, no, it's empty. And the guy says, I can't believe this. We're right down by the field of the world cup. Why would you purchase a chair? And no, nobody would would sit in the chair. What on earth? And the guy said, well, actually I own the chair. I, I bought the chair and um, my wife passed away since I bought it. And so it's just going to be empty. To the guy, It's just going to be empty. And the guy said, oh, I'm so sorry. He said, but surely you could have found like A nephew or an aunt or uncle or sibling or surely you could have found someone to come along with you. And the guy said, no, they're all at the funeral. Um, so right. Top 10. I, I, it's on the, this is not my list. All right. This is, This is their list. Oxford, these are smart people, but they they thought that was a top-down list, and you certainly could debate that sort of thing, and heaven knows that we are really fascinated in our culture uh, with the GOAT, the the greatest of all time. If you watch sports media at all, you know that um, in sports media, they'll be debating the greatest football player, the greatest basketball player of all time. If you follow uh, politics, that often we're debating uh, the greatest leader, the greatest president of all time. If you like entertainment, it's not unusual for there to be a conversation about the greatest actor or actress of all time. We're fascinated by this idea of the greatest. And this is actually what the book of Hebrews is about. So if you have your Bibles, um, open them up uh, to to Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to have it on the screen for you. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to do uh, sermon slides for the next couple of weeks. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I think this might be kind of annoying, me crossing in front of it all the time, but we'll, we'll see. We'll have it on the screen for you today. But one of the major themes that runs throughout the book of Hebrews uh, that, that we're going to be studying now until the week before Easter, we're going to be in this uh, book for three months. And one of the themes that runs through it is the idea that Jesus is greater. That that the writer of Hebrews, uh, who's kind of unknown, uh, the writer of Hebrews lifts Jesus up, and he lifts Jesus up really high uh, and, and exalts him in a really really uh, magnificent way. And so one of the themes of the whole book, I think, is found in verse th- is found in verse three. And uh, I want to show you this verse because I, I think this is verse uh, kind of illustrates the whole book and how the the writer lifts Jesus up. It says, The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. This book is going to lift Jesus up. It's going to lift Jesus high. And there's a couple reasons this message was so important to the original hearers of the book of Hebrews. Um, One is consider the the audience it was written to, that this book was written to Jewish Christians, that they had most likely grown up Jewish. Most likely they had, there were probably some second generation Jewish Christians, but most likely they'd grown up Jewish. And at some point they had to have the uncomfortable conversation of sitting down their mom or their dad or their grandpa or their grandma and let them know that they had decided to kind of leave Judaism and become a a, a Christian. And you can imagine how uncomfortable that must've been. I don't an experience with it. All I know is uh, on a number of occasions, my mom, who grew up very, very Catholic, um, she didn't just grow up Catholic, she grew up very Catholic, um, and uh, she tells me the story of having to sit her parents down and have the uncomfortable conversation that she was kind of leaving the Catholic Church and she was going to become Protestant. And her parents were really disappointed. And they were really bothered and it was really uncomfortable for a long period of time. So you have these early kind of new Christians that were living under this family pressure. Surely a lot of family pressure to return to Judaism. And so a core part of the message of Hebrews is, man, in your newfound faith, don't forget Jesus is greater. He's going to go on to say, or, or she, the writer of Hebrews is going to go on to say, he is greater than Moses. Jesus is. He's greater than the priesthood. He's greater than the old sacrifice. He's greater. And he's just trying to remind these new believers that are under some family pressure to recognize the greatness and glory and majesty of Jesus so that they keep their faith. The second thing you have to consider is some of the false teachings that were going on within the first century. Uh, That there were kind of more than three, but there are three that I, I came up with. One was the false teaching of circumcision. That in order to become a Christian, you needed to be circumcised just as a Jewish person would. You had to do that to be saved. False teaching. Another was that because of the grace of Jesus Christ, that you can live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do. And the third false teaching that finds its way into our text this morning is that because Jesus was fully human... Uh, Because he was fully human, he's fully God. We're going to learn that in a minute, but he's also fully human. He's actually, the false teaching said, considered lower than the angels. And so some teachers were actually proposing that angels should be worshipped even more than Jesus. And so you got all of these false teachings kind of swirling about, and each one kind of undercut the, undercut the life, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in do, doing so, undercut people's ability and desire to love, worship, honor, and obey Jesus. And so the writer of the Hebrews, he comes out with this message loud and clear. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus is greater. He's greater than the angels we're going to see this morning. He's greater than the than grace being a, a get-out-of-sin-free card. His grace transforms our very lives. Jesus is greater. Now, lastly, the reason this message was so important is you have to consider the time that it was written, that it was written to Jewish Christians. Uh, most scholars think that it's probably around the mid-60s, um, uh, the original 60s, not the 1960s, right? Right. Um, probably the Jewish Christians living in Rome, maybe Jerusalem, but they were living under the rule and reign of this Roman emperor named Nero. Now I was telling the Sunday school class that I'm fascinated by Roman history. Uh, I love Roman history. And so um, it was a joy to kind of study the Roman history to, to prepare for this. But man, there are not a lot of stories that I could share with you about Nero. And keep my job, right? Um, there are some. This guy was just absolutely um, depraved, and there's a lot of stories that go around about him. One was that um, Rome had a great fire; it, it pretty much burned the whole area down, and a lot of people believe that Nero set uh, his own city on fire. Um, And he did not like that at all, that he was being blamed for this fire. So he decided to blame the Christians for it. And Nero never had much use for the Christians anyway. But then in order to kind of take the spotlight off of him in regards to this fire, he started to blame the Christians for the fire. And he launched a full-on persecution of Christians. And one of the things that he is known for, you can only imagine this, because we've hardly ever seen a leader this depraved before, but he would crucify Christians and then light them on fire during dinner parties. And, and there are historians that talk about that they would, they would be at some of these dinner parties, and you, you could hear these Christians suffering as they're crucified and eventually lit on fire, and Nero's just making small talk. Is is all he's doing, just totally ignoring the the suffering of of, of these Christians. The other thing he's known for is um, building the Damas um, Aurore, and it was kind of known as a pleasure palace, and it had uh, flowers that would fall from the ceiling, and Nero was known to have these huge, huge parties where he would force people to eat until they threw up. Um, and they, they'd eat that way over several days and then they'd throw up. And, and then they, he'd have these very indulgent parties um, that were sexual in nature. And like I said, I can't even share um, some of what the historians write about. Um, but what the problem with it was, it was the first thing he built after, the, after Rome burned down. And so a lot of people were going, the first thing you build is a pleasure palace um, when your people are suffering and they're without homes and it's just a horrible time. And it became kind of a symbol of his selfishness. And, and shortly after death, it was, it was torn down and stripped of all of its gold and sold to actually help um, Rome. Um, he killed a lot of people, uh, not just strangers, not, not just Christians. Um, one story is that he killed his own mother. Um, the, the story goes that he sent her out on a ship And uh, when the ship got out to sea, there was a trap door and it opened and she fell into the water and she survived that. She swam up to shore, but Nero um, heard that she had survived and he had an assassin waiting for her on the beach when she swam back up to shore. And when she got on the shore and saw the assassin, her last words on this planet were smite my womb, right? I regret ever having um, this son. And this book was written to people that were living under the rule and reign of a madman. Absolutely, absolutely crazy in a way that we have only seen but a few times in history. And to be a Christian living under Nero's reign was horrible. People wanted to give up. People wanted to give in just to avoid the suffering. And the writer of Hebrews does this amazing thing. He lifts Jesus really high and the message is loud and clear. Jesus is greater than Nero. He is. He he, he's greater. We just got done with this month-long celebration of the birth of our Savior and Lord Jesus. In, In three months, we're getting ready for this celebration called Easter that celebrates his resurrection. Week after week after week, we have people gather in here. They are celebrating the name of Jesus. You know what Pet MD says? The fifth most popular name for a dog? Nero. Nero. Jesus is greater. He's greater than Nero. All Nero is really known for now is really bad pizza commercials from way back. Um, nobody gets that but me, do that, All right. <laughs> and, and pet names, right? Jesus is greater um, than, than Nero. And I think we need this message now, um, honestly, as much as we've ever needed it. Because I was reading um, where I get a lot of my theological ideas. I was reading the comics in the newspaper on New Year's Eve. And I found it really, really interesting. They were all end-of-the-year comic strips, right? And I found, I found it interesting that almost every comic, without exception, had as its theme, thank goodness 2017 is over. Oh, thank goodness 2017 is over. 2018 better be uh, better than 2017 was. And I think that some of it is people went through some really difficult stuff in 2017. But I think there's also some discouragement culturally, like as a, as a nation and as a culture, because we've lost perspective. We've lost perspective as as a people and we're discouraged that politics have left us bitterly disappointed because we expect politics to do something it can never do. Politics cannot heal our nation. Our job has left us disappointed because we expect it to do something it never can do. Work is important, but it cannot give you eternal joy, hope, and peace. Our family has left us disappointed because we expect them to do something they're not equipped to do. Family is hugely important, but they can't be the source of our salvation. So, the writer of Hebrews is going to teach us over the next 12 weeks don't make anything the object of your worship and your joy, hope, and peace but Jesus. Why? Because He's greater and He's worthy of our praise, worship, and affection. So, in chapter 1 and 2, that that was the intro to the sermon. Uh, the body shorter, I promise, all right? So uh, the intro always takes a little bit of time, but in chapters one and two, he's gonna talk to us about Jesus. You'll notice the heading in your text, Jesus is greater than the angels. And this goes back to this teaching that because Jesus was human, he was a human being that walked the face of the earth, that because um, he, he, he was human, that the angels are actually exalted above Jesus and should be the object of our, our worship. And so the writer of Hebrews is going to dismantle this argument by lifting Jesus up. And he's going to do it in two ways that I think are really interesting. One is he's going to teach us about the deity of Jesus That Jesus wasn't just a human being. He was God in human flesh. Let me show you uh, verses one through four. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in various ways. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven and so became as much superior to the angels as the name he has has inherited is superior to theirs. So he's teaching us that Jesus was not just your average Joe. He, he wasn't just a normal human being. He's bigger and greater than that. He's actually God in human flesh. And, and the writer of Hebrews establishes this in, in a couple of ways. One is he does what the gospel of John does. We studied the gospel of John at the end of Christmas this year. He does the exact same thing the, the writer uh, that, that John does in his gospel. And he places Jesus at the scene of the creation story that goes all the way back to Genesis one. So if Jesus is present on the scene of the creation story, then he can't just be human right? He's God in in human flesh and he establishes that Jesus was there and and thereby will always be God. So Christianity teaches that God is um, kind of three in in one, three persons, that he's God, the father, he's God, the son, and he's God, the Holy spirit. And they have separate roles that they play, but they're one, they're completely, completely unified. They're all God. And if you understand that, please come find me after service and teach me Uh, because I, I I don't get that either, but he's three and he's one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but completely unified. All three are God, um, all three are completely unified. They exist at all points, at all times, and all of creation. And so you see each of them in the creation story. Let me show you this in Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So in this text, you see God, the father, God creating the heavens and the earth. You see the spirit of God hovering over the waters. The question is, if all three are present, where is Jesus? Well, according to John and according to the writer of Hebrews, he is the word of God. That when God said, let there be light and there was light, that somehow, and I really don't understand this either, but somehow that was Jesus, That when God said, let there be light, somehow that is Jesus. That Jesus, his role is to bring light and vitality and life to the universe. That he is through whom the universe came to be made. He's not just another guy. He's not. He's not just another guy. He's present and active and sustaining the universe and giving life and light to the universe. So he establishes Jesus' deity by placing him at the creation story. He also establishes it by how he describes Jesus. He describes him as the exact representation of the being and radiance of God. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, he's the son. He's the son of God. Now, we tend to live in a very independent Western culture, where sons, we grow up our sons to be independent and our sons have their own path to follow and their own life to live. This was not the culture this was written into. This was a high honor culture where sons typically followed the father's career and life, where if the son was sent by the father in the father's business to address something in the business, the son was the father in human flesh. So if, the, if, I, you know, if I had a business and Sam came and kind of was working for the business, my son, and I sent Sam to address something out in the field. He is me in human flesh, right? Although I am also human flesh, so it breaks down there, but you get it, right? <laughs> he's my son. He, he's, 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 he's that way. And so we te- when we hear Jesus is the son of God, we tend to think, well, he's special, he's unique, but he's not God. The people of Jesus' day would have heard that totally different. When Jesus said he was the son of God, they would have heard, oh, he's God in human flesh. He is claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the son of God. He is the exact representation of the glory of God. The exact representation of the glory of God. So you want to know what God is like? Study Jesus Study the actions of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Sometimes we have this kind of misnomer and and this uh, false teaching that like in the Old Testament, God was kind of grumpy and then he got in a better mood and that's Jesus. And you know, no, Jesus is the exact representation of the glory of the father. So look to Jesus, study him, know him, and you will see the radiance of God's glory. You'll see who God is. So how can he be the exact representation of the glory of God? Very easily. Very easily. He is God. He's the son of God. He's not your average Joe. He's not your average guy. And the final argument is where Jesus is now, right? He's at the right hand of God. So he puts him at the creation story. He refers to him as son. And then he describes where Jesus is now. That right now he's at the right seat, the right hand of God. And you know what Jesus is doing right now? Right now he's not doing much, but sustaining the universe, right? By his word and with his action, he's sustaining the universe. He's giving life and light and power to our world, just like he always has. And one day he will return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth. And he's going to destroy sin and death and Satan and disease. And we will go and live with him for all of eternity. He's God. Now, angels are amazing and cool, right? They are not little babies wearing diapers. Get that out of your head. Right, we covered this at Christmas, but I feel like we need to cover it again. Right, angels are not cute little babies in diapers. Those are cute little babies in diapers. Right, the number one thing that the angel has to say whenever the angel appears in the Bible is, "Do not be afraid." You know why? Because they're scary. So the first thing they say is, "Oh, don't be afraid. I'm here with good news of great joy." It's like, oh, I thought you were here for something else. Right? <laughs> right? So no. So angels are cool, but Jesus has the name Son. He's the son of God, and he purifies sin, and he sustains the universe. He's the representation of God's glory. He's at the right hand of God with all power and all authority. He's greater. And the writer of Hebrews will go on to illustrate this in a really uh, powerful way that that is right in the front of our minds right now at the beginning of January. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 6. And again, when God first brings his firstborn into the world, he says... Let all the angels worship him. So the writer of Hebrews tells the story of Christmas. And here's how, how Luke shares this story. It says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared uh, with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angels are not confused about who should be worshiped. The angels are not confused. The people in the writer of Hebrews day, they were confused. The angels know who should be worshiped because they show up to the story of Jesus and they are giving honor and glory and praise to Jesus because they recognize something very important. He is greater than they are. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than everything. And this is going to be, you're going to get kind of tired of me hearing it. Because again and again and again, we need to be reminded of this as politics unfold, as life unfolds, as sometimes life gets hard, as disease maybe starts to have its way a little bit. We need to be constantly reminded that Jesus is greater. He's greater than our government. He's greater than our joblessness. He's greater than our, uh, our disease. He's greater than our family. He is greater than everything. And the writer of Hebrews is going to raise him up really high. So he starts out by establishing the greatness and the deity of Jesus. But then he goes on in chapter 2. To establish why the humanity of Jesus is also so important in terms of giving him praise, so it's easy to see this with the deity of Jesus. All right, he's God in human flesh. He's worthy of honor and glory and praise. I see that, but then he's going to begin to dissect and unfold the humanity of Jesus because Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. <laughs> right, right. He was both those things. So he was fully human. And the writer of Hebrews is going to go on to explain why this also, his humanity also makes him worthy of praise. Let me show you this in chapter two, starting in verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear and death. For surely it's not the angels he helps, right? He didn't come to help the angels. Came to help human beings. But Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of his people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted." So he says, even the humanity of Jesus, when he became fully human, the humanity of Jesus also makes him worthy of praise. So the writer of Hebrews says there are, there's more than this, but the writer talks about three. There are three reasons that Jesus became a human being. Let's cover them quickly. All right. And I promise that quickly. All right. One is power. That in the very beginning, God said that sin would bring death into the world. Sin found its way into the world and it brought death, physical death, spiritual death. It brought death. Jesus became a human being to serve human beings so that he might break the power of death, physical and spiritual. And it is through Jesus we are given eternal life. Eternal life starts when you express your faith in Jesus and it continues on for all of eternity. So if you are a Christian here today and you have given your life to Jesus, you are living your eternal life right now. Because Jesus, remember what I said about him? He brings life and light, and vitality to the world. This is Jesus's role in the Trinity. It's what he does. And so when you express your faith in him, he began to lead you to life, and light, and vitality. So you are living your eternal life right now. You didn't even know it. Congratulations. I just, you know, that's very cool. All right, so he came for power to break the power of death. He came for atonement. Right, that Jesus came to forgive our sins that were leading us to death and separation from God. And Jesus is a great high priest because he feels great mercy for us in our sin. And it is not because he ever sinned, because he never did sin. It is because he felt the full power of temptation. He knows how hard it is to live with these things because he did it. And so when he became a high priest for us, He is a merciful and compassionate high priest because he knows how hard it is to live as a human being. And so he feels great mercy and great compassion, but he brings atonement for us. That means he forgives our sins. Sin separates, atonement brings us back to one. And so Jesus came, when sin separated us from God, Jesus came to put us back together, to to make us one uh, with God again. Sin separates, separates, Jesus brings us back, all right? Last thing he comes to bring is help that he knows that because he experienced temptation just like we do, that, that he experienced all, all temptation. Jesus understands this because he was tempted. And so he knows exactly what you need, the exact moment that you need it. He is a compassionate and graceful helper in our times of trouble. So here's his point, all right? I think this is really cool. He said, Jesus did become a human being, but Jesus did that because he was on mission, that he emptied himself, he lowered himself for the sake and the purpose of the mission. He wasn't without power, he was on mission. As a matter of fact, it kind of makes more sense of some of the verses that talk about how from the cross, Jesus could have called down legions of angels to rescue him. He had plenty of power available, but he was committed to the rescue mission of help and power and grace and forgiveness. So he, he, he did empty himself and lower himself, but he did it. For us, he did it for the sake of the mission. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment, somebody in our community has a million dollars total. They're worth a million dollars, all right? Um, You can invite them to our church, all right? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm totally kidding. But Imagine somebody has a million dollars, and they decide that they're going to give all of their net worth, all million dollars, away to our community. And they're going to find the best organizations and the best people. And they're going to do that. They're going to empty all of their resources into our community for the good of our community. Or imagine better yet, Warren Buffett decides that. (laughs) I'm just going to empty everything into Decatur, Illinois. Right? If somebody decided to do that, we would not think of them as poor. And we would not think of them as less than. You know how we would think of them? If somebody emptied everything for the good of of our community, we would think of them as being on mission. And you know what we would do? We would praise their actions. We would praise their actions because they've emptied themselves for the good of the community. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to teach us. That Jesus becoming fully human, it doesn't make him less worthy of praise. It makes him more worthy of praise because he emptied himself and he became fully human. And he gave everything for the good of the community and the good of his creation. This is the point. If you get a chance, please read read Hebrews 2. This is the point of Hebrews 2, that he gave up so much and he lowered himself so low but that is not a reason to think any less of him and to worship angels more. As a matter of fact, his humanity and his mission leads us to a higher degree of praise and to follow him more and to obey him more. We we see that he is worthy of it in his deity and we see that he's worthy of it in his humanity, that he gave up so much and it leads us to praise him well. And so this is how Hebrews starts. It is a celebration of his deity, that he was fully God. And it's a celebration of his humanity, that he was fully human. And both those things are reasons to be grateful and reasons to praise and reasons to not have anyone or anything be the object of your worship and your affection, but Jesus Christ, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. And uh, we thank you for the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she is. What a great book that you gave to them to encourage us that Jesus is greater. Jesus is bigger. Help us to remember it, that when life is overwhelming, when we don't know exactly what we're gonna do or where we're supposed to go, help us to remember that Jesus is greater. When it feels like disease is winning, when it feels like joblessness is winning, when it feels like family struggle is winning, help us to remember Jesus is greater and to express our faith in him because you bring life light and vitality to everything you touch. You've been doing it from Genesis 1 right on through to today. So help us to turn to you for life. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, if you'll stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And uh, we'd love to receive you down front. If you're interested in hearing more about Jesus, I'm just going to step off to the side here. Um, And uh, we'd love to pray with you. Um, And we'd love to talk to you more about Jesus if you're interested in that as we sing this song.